Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Today's episode of the Mission Daily is brought to you by Jamf Now, the number one device management solution for all your company's Apple devices. To learn more about how Jamf Now can help you secure your Macs, iPads, or iPhones, head to jamf.com slash mission daily to set up your first three devices for free. That's jamf.com slash mission daily or click on the link in the show notes. Hey everyone, this is Chad, and today on the Mission Daily, we have two, or maybe three, special announcements. The first one, the Mission Daily was selected by Apple as one of the best of 2018. So the Mission Woo! Daily was the one of the best podcasts as selected by Apple for 2018. Wow, that's so, so awesome. We could not have done it without you, the amazing listeners. You hear Ian in the background, you hear Steph. You don't hear Toasty because, oh, there he is. There you go. Good boy. That's a good pup. And that's the first announcement. Second announcement, one of our other podcasts, actually our first one, The Story, was also selected by Apple as the best of 2018. That is so exciting. Again, we couldn't do it without you, the listener. We're grateful for each and every one of you. And to celebrate this, it brings us to our third announcement. We are going to be playing all throughout the holiday season on the Mission Daily, the best episodes from The Story. That's right. We've been through four incredible seasons of the story. And if you haven't heard it, you're in for a treat. For those of you who don't know, the story is a historical fiction podcast where we tell the unknown backstory of people who changed the world. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. And a big shout out to our amazing sponsor, Jamp. Thank you for making this happen. And as always, thank you, the listener, for enjoying it. This is the story of how one woman veteran blazed a trail into the U.S. Air Force and then beyond. Today's story is called Return to Flight. The girl's big dream started the moment she read about the Project Gemini astronauts in a junior scholastic magazine. The Gemini crew was pioneering the space travel techniques that would later be used to land astronauts on the moon. The girl soaked up the backgrounds of astronauts like John Young and Virgil Grissom, and she decided she wanted to be one of them. But big dreams aren't always welcome, so she never uttered a word about her ambitions to anyone. She had already heard no, or you can't do that, anytime she tried to do something new. The girl grew up in New York State. She was a child of immigrants who sometimes used welfare and food stamps to provide for their family. Although the pressures of providing for their family were intense, Her parents loved and encouraged their children. Her father encouraged his kids to learn about the world. He would pile his kids into the car and drive to the nearby airport. There, they would all sit on the hood and watch planes take off. Those fond memories of family life 
would help keep her going when her parents separated when she was only nine. Suddenly, her dream seemed out of reach, and getting there might be harder than she thought. Her parents didn't have any money for college or flying lessons. Rather than grow disappointed, it just made the young girl more determined to figure it out on her own. Her fascination with flight and space drove her to learn mathematics, logic, science, and economics. But the numbers, theories, and models were not enough. She needed to fly. Posters of astronauts and the Earth from space hung on her wall. They kept her going, but she wanted to see the Earth from space for herself. So she worked like crazy to make it happen. In high school, she worked nights and weekends at a pizza place to save up money for flying lessons. She didn't take her first flight lesson until age 19, and that only stoked her desire to fly even more. Finally, she had enough money for flight lessons. She drove to the small airport near her home and signed up. She thought they might give her a hard time for being a girl, but nobody said a word. And soon, she was in the air. After she got her pilot's license, she was accepted into the U.S. Air Force undergraduate pilot training program. She was one of four women in the program. After one year of training, she became the first female flight instructor for the Air Force. Next, she taught flying and mathematics at the Air Force Academy. It was a high-stakes environment, but she held her own. It was there that she developed a reputation for being cool, calm, and level-headed under pressure. The accolades she earned mounted, and she still kept her ultimate goal a secret. She was going to find a way to get into outer space. Eventually, she had the credentials and the nerve to ask her commanding officer to recommend her to the space program. When she made her request, she held her breath and waited for the no. But it never came. His response was quick and resounding. I think you'd make a great astronaut. The year was 1990, and her work and vision was paying off. One day at work, a call came through for her. She picked up the phone. A voice on the other end said, you've been selected to go through NASA's pilot training program. She couldn't believe it. The years of dreaming, curiosity, and hard work were paying off. Astronaut training was beyond intense. Later, she would look back on it and reflect that we obviously were living in a fishbowl. Everyone knew who we were, our personal business, our test scores, and our flight performance. My philosophy was to be the best pilot I could be, to stay focused, not engage, or get involved in social things or anything that wasn't directly contributing to the mission. If the first woman did poorly, that could have caused the cancellation of the program. She went on to ace classes on space, weather, medicine, and mechanics. The pilot spent hours in the simulator, facing practice launches and surprise malfunctions. They had seconds to make life-or-death decisions. The next four years were filled with training and waiting for her chance. By 1995, she had risen to the rank of colonel and became the first woman ever to pilot the space shuttle. The world celebrated. Please be seated and welcome to the White House and the Roosevelt Room. First Lady Hillary Clinton commented that... ...occasion in the White House that gives me more personal pleasure uh, than this announcement. In December 1998, when the shuttle Columbia takes off, will take one big step forward for women and one giant leap for humanity. Soon, her first real-world mission arrived. T-minus 30 seconds. She strapped into the pilot's seat of the Discovery Space Shuttle. 
It was the first flight of the new joint Russian-American space program designed to foster collaboration instead of competition amongst the two nations. It wasn't long before she sat on the launch pad and the 10-second countdown began. Her pulse quickened and she felt the adrenaline rush through her. At T minus six seconds, the engines lit. We have a go for engine start, zero. We have booster ignition and liftoff, reaching new heights for women in X-ray astronomy. The boosters roared, and after a few more seconds, they had liftoff. The shuttle shook. Beads of sweat formed on her face. Space shuttle Discovery shot into the sky, and she felt the G-forces push her back into her seat. Now headed downrange, altitude 3.8 miles. Minutes later, the shuttle pierced uh, through the thin exosphere. Her arms felt light, and she realized she was experiencing real zero gravity for the first time. No more simulations, no more vomit comet. This was the real deal. She was in space. Space Shuttle Discovery completed its routine inspections and maintenance to the International Space Station. She safely piloted the crew in, landed the shuttle, and the mission was a success. After the mission, she took time off to have her first child, a baby girl named Bridget. Two years later, she piloted another mission, this time with Space Shuttle Atlantis. And two years after that, she broke another barrier when she was named the first female shuttle commander. In between, when she was preparing for her last mission, catastrophe struck. Her next mission was only four weeks away from launch when the tragedy happened. Another Space Shuttle Columbia had malfunctioned and disintegrated upon re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere. The entire crew was killed. All the astronauts had been close friends with her, and the loss hit close to home. Now, it wasn't just any mission she was commanding. She was tasked with the return-to-flight mission. It would be the first mission after the Space Shuttle Columbia disaster. Reporters hounded her about the launch. They asked if she felt fear, uncertainty, or doubt. They reminded her that the future of manned spaceflight rested on the success of her mission. When they bombarded her with questions, in her cool, calm, collected manner, she responded, We are staying focused on the mission, and we know we are in good hands with the people on the ground. Her final mission began, and soon the 14-day mission was 13 days in without a hitch. The last challenge was to land safely. But a raging storm at Kennedy Space Center in Florida caused NASA to change plans. The landing was diverted to Edwards Air Force Base in California for a night landing. She adjusted accordingly and prepared to land at night in the new location. Prior to the mission, she had received words of encouragement from female pilots around the world. After the tragedy of Columbia, the whole world suddenly became morbidly interested in space. Now they were all watching. Sight. Roger, runway inside. She knew she had one shot. Inside of the runway. Now lining uh, with the center of runway 33. And the public sentiment towards the space program was in her and her crew's hands. Altitude 5,000 feet. She thought back to all the time she had spent with her friends and fellow astronauts that had been killed in the Columbia disaster. 4,000 feet. She decided that their deaths would not be in vain. 2,000 feet. The shuttle began their final descent. Altitude now 1,000 feet. They were approaching at 25 times the speed of sound, or 18,000 miles per hour. 
Commander Eileen Collins uh, guiding onto the shuttle landing facility runway. The ground below whizzed by as she slowed them down. Speed, 390 miles per hour. The blue lights lining the runway loomed larger in the night. Landing gears down and locked. Touchdown, main gear touchdown. Houston, wheel stop. Roger, wheel stop. Welcome home. Eileen, to you and the crew, just an outstanding job deploying Chandra. And, and Space Shuttle Discovery touched down on runway 22. The crowd cheered, and NASA employees shared hugs of joy. Later, a reporter asked a NASA spokesperson, what led to the success of the mission? What was it that made everything go so smoothly? The NASA official replied, there isn't any of this that is easy, but Colonel Eileen Collins made it look like a cakewalk. As the first woman to pilot and command a space shuttle, Eileen Collins blazed a trail for others to follow. Colonel Collins never wavered in the face of adversity or challenge or hardship, from the time she was a young girl to the moment she completed her fourth mission into space. The training required to reach your dreams might take decades to complete. Maybe your dreams are so big that like Colonel Collins, you don't tell anyone around you right away. Maybe you'll have to patiently build the courage and discipline required to achieve them painstakingly over years. That's okay. If your dreams are worthy, if they blaze a trail for others to follow, then maybe we have a duty to accomplish them. Maybe you have a duty to go for them. After all, if humanity will become a spacefaring species, if we're going to future-proof our civilization here on Earth, we all need to dream bigger. We have a duty to do it for ourselves, our families, and for future generations not yet born. That's her story. What's yours going to be? Hey, this is Ian from The Mission. I talk to Fortune 500 CIOs and IT visionaries about how much effort and energy they put into securing their devices. But they have teams of hundreds of IT professionals, an advantage that the average business doesn't have. Until now. Jamf now makes it easy to set up, manage, and protect your company's Apple devices. As your business grows, so does your digital inventory, making it harder to manage everyone's Apple devices. This is especially true if you have remote employees, like we do at the mission. With Jamf now, you can check your digital inventory, distribute Wi-Fi and email settings, deploy apps, protect company data, or even lock and wipe a device as needed from anywhere. And all of this with no IT experience needed. The Mission Daily listeners can start securing their businesses today by setting up their first three devices for free forever. Add more starting at just $2 a month per device. Create your free account today at jamf.com slash mission daily. That's J-A-M-F dot com slash mission daily. We love Jamf and you. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Well, too.